Welcome to episode 5 of Corner of Hunter and George. On this episode, I'm speaking with Matthew P. Barker, journalist at Peterborough This Week and Peterborough Examiner, on issues such as homelessness and our opioid overdose crisis in, in Peterborough, in this area. And a lot of you may think, well, that's uh, not what this podcast was for. This podcast was for speaking for the artists of Peterborough, or at least those connected to Peterborough, as I was showing on my first four episodes. And that is still the case. But I would argue if art, if one of its definitions is bring out emotional power, speaking to our emotions, making us think, making us ask questions, and Matthew P. Barker, as he explains in the later stages of an interview I'm about to play with him, he does that. He is an artist. He is his artist in his own way. He is also an activist. He is a journalist and an activist. So I'm not, I wasn't resisting this question. Not when it's an issue we are faced day to day. Not when we're in the dead of winter waking up today to minus 29 temperatures, imagining that people are sleeping out there, either because they are not accepted into our shelters, either out of choice, or like he says in the interview as well, many people trying to make it out on their own in our parks and our forest areas around here. Just these sad situations, whether they are addicts or not, which not all of them are. So I, I hope you get a lot out of this interview. And while it is perhaps, I wouldn't call it political, but while it is really pressing and realist, and not so much maybe an artistic evaluation, it is still an issue I cannot avoid with the corner of Hunter and George. I can't speak about the corner of Hunter and George just when our, recently our CIBC bank uh, had a robbery or had someone trying to point a gun at a teller there. These are not issues we can avoid and it shouldn't be avoided on this podcast. So I'm not into or not interested in speaking about who's the favorite for mayor in 2022 or, you know, will Doug Ford have another majority government in 2022? What is Justin Trudeau doing for us? I'm not really interested in speaking about the individuals or the political scene, but I'm interested in the actions of what's being done by government and our community for those most oppressed, and it's not an issue we can avoid. And unlike what I'm interpreting from Peterborough so far, where they've had a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people have had trouble accepting that homelessness and opioid, it's an opioid crisis, a real estate crisis for many, it cannot be avoided any longer. So I hope you enjoyed my interview with Matthew P. Barker. Just for you personally, um, I've noticed, I guess I've been really impressed by anything I've read in Peterborough this week or Peterborough Examiner. 
uh, admittedly not quite behind their paywall, but from what I see, um, is uh, like you are someone who really tries to go out and gives voice to those who often are without voice or people either ignore or don't want to uh, give any verification to. And that I've been really impressed by. Um, so I guess I, I will start off, I guess, with this question here. I hope it's not too um, heavy to start off with. But do you, uh, this is me, I guess, kind of paraphrasing what I heard, I think, um, off the podcast, uh, Sandy and Nora, is either Sandy Hudson or Nora Loretto who said this, but basically that, you know, a journalist's role is partly to be an activist. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yourself. No, I'd have to agree with that completely. I mean, there there is a fine line in which you have to kind of walk with regards to activism and journalism. But if you can do it properly, you kind of help to engage the public and educate them at the same time with regards to how you know the, the issues in their in their in their community and and what's you know I mean important. Because I think I think it's a lot more than just, you know, there was an accident today, um, COVID cases are through the roof, blah, 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 you know, all those those very doom and gloom stories. Um, I try to focus a lot on, on, like, like you said, issues that bring a voice to people, because I think the human interest piece is what is lacking in journalism a lot of the time. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I, yeah, I was going to go on that point too. That you just, I guess, you obviously see journalism as something as being beyond kind of a traditional kind of stenographer or like a, you know, a CP twenty four thing where you're just kind of you know updating all the time and just with the basic facts. Yeah. Um, so, I without getting into too much of what, what you've done in the past, I guess you'd be pointed out you've done your work for both CBC and Global News. Um, and, uh, from what I'm getting that you, uh, I don't know if you originally come from Hamilton, but you went to school there at least anyway. Um, so I guess I was just going to see from whatever knowledge you've had from, or whatever experience you've had outside of Peterborough, um, like, um, what you mainly write about, um, do you see a lot of connections between, Peterborough and if not Hamilton, basically just Ontario or even larger than that in general, like some of the most pressing issues facing our municipality. Let me just back up there for a moment. Yeah. I did a, um, so my experience with the CBC and Global, I did those as um, internships. Right. So I learned a lot, a lot from um, those internships with regards to those. Um, honestly, the Peterborough Examiner is my first actual writing job um and and with regards to how i see these connections with regards to other municipalities originally i am from lindsay mm. so i i did um i did my undergraduate here in peterborough at trent university in sociology and then went to hamilton to do uh, advanced employment journalism. So the issues with regards to housing, homelessness, opioid crisis, um, giving people the voice um, really stems from my own upbringing. I was um, I was raised in government housing by a single mother. 
on welfare who had um, mental health issues, you know, uh, that she she battled with even still to this day. Um, so, you know, learning about and experiencing those situations um, kind of brought me to where I am today with regards to my my focus on journalism. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit off topic. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. There's no set rules. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. could you repeat the question? Well, I guess I'm just um, like, is there, I guess what I'm trying to get at, is there anything, is a lot of what major challenges in our municipality, do you see those kind of just as, uh, you know, we're getting basically what is almost like, if not a global, at least definitely uh, like a, what you see all across our province anyway, um, issues of what you were just saying, homelessness, opioid crisis, or is there any sort of like sort of uh, unique challenges that Peterborough has in itself? Okay. Yeah, no, um, Peterborough has the unique challenge I'm noticing right now in, in the Peterborough area opposed to other areas across Ontario that I've visited um, is that it doesn't seem like the Peterborough area is taking the homelessness very seriously. And what I mean by that is like, there has been movements, uh, grassroots movements here in Peterborough that have been, you know, trying to get the tiny home communities going here and found a lot of pushback from elected officials um, and even like the nimbyism from people in, you know, in, in the city itself. And I, I'd have to argue that, I mean, everyone has a right to housing. So with that in mind, I think by providing a tiny home solution, it will actually help to further the the community of Peterborough in a, in a prosperous way, because we can, you know, take these people who are shunned and pushed to the press, uh, the, the fringes of society and give them a purpose. And, you know, if they're lacking skills, which some of them do, um, due to maybe a lack of upbringing, um, mental health issues, um, or, or even uh, substance use, we can actually teach, you know, obviously you're going to need, you know, teachers there uh, to teach them, you know, skills that are transferable in a way that you can actually make, you know, them part of the bigger community, right? Mm -hmm. so, so with that in mind, I mean, that's one of the only issues I find that really, I guess, is hampered through the Peterborough uh, area, right? Because I've spent some time talking with um, tiny home uh, advocates in Kitchener and Kingston, and they are, their cities are helping them, you know, find the solutions for the people who are on the streets. Here, it's just throw money at, or so it seems, it's just throw money at the shelters 
and forget the problem exists. Yeah, no, I think you you point out uh, actually quite a few things I want to touch upon in your answer there. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I'll start off with I've I've heard uh, quite a bit uh, of what has happened in Kitchener, not so much Kingston. Uh, I was hearing, I think, one day a sort of a perspective from somebody at the Toronto Star about that, and uh, just a month or two ago, and. Um, yeah, he was basically saying like, um, yeah, it's it's been a success. The council got behind it. He was saying something along the lines of if this is going to happen in your area, you have to expect that there might be like an increase in like uh, petty theft and things like that. And he said most, I guess the comment that he said that most revealed to me, at least his opinion was, if you're going to have something like that, you're going to really need someone like, I don't, I forget the name of the lady who runs it in Kitchener, but you're going to need someone like that, almost like he was portraying her as like a Mother Teresa kind of figure, like someone who's totally dedicated to it. It, it can't happen in a bureaucratic way, in other words, he was saying, if that sort of thing. But, right. but at the same time, he's sort of lauding it, yes, as a success, yeah. Right. And it, it is quite a success there in, in Kitchener. They've had, you know, the city come and say, here's a piece of land. Um, originally, they were, they were bouncing around from spot to spot there uh, for about, a, I think, about a year and a bit. And then they, the city council came back to them with a nice piece of land. And they've really modified it now with regards to what's going on. And they've been able to, you know, lay down footpaths that the houses are based around. Mm -hmm. And then they just put in, I saw a post this weekend, they just put in uh, portables for showers, uh, a kitchen and uh, laundry services. Mm. Wow. So it's really, really good there. I mean, and for Kingston, uh, Kingston is a little bit behind where Kitchener is and way ahead mm -hmm. of where Peterborough is currently. So, I mean, that aspect of housing the homeless, you know, Kitchener has, uh, you know, received $150,000 from, from city council to get their, um, their tiny home, you know, started their tiny home community started. Right. And, you know, they've, they're doing quite well, you know, they've, they've started getting, uh, they're, they call them sleeping cabins because they're eight by, I think eight by 12. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're pretty good, big enough for a, a, a single bed, a side table, um, and a tiny, tiny desk and chair, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, now, now, yeah. And I guess more in your point of how it's run now, uh, both of the shelters and with uh, basically, I don't, I, I, my understanding is this is not a unique Peterborough thing, but often also throwing, if not money, at least a bit of support here and there at these church organizations or NGOs. And I'm sure there, I'm, I'm sure you can think of people like who are individually at least should be really applauded for their work in these. I'm talking, I'm thinking of things like One Roof, One City, the, those sort of organizations. But, you know, it's more like yeah, I guess besides the shelter, the municipality is not really wanting to take it on itself, more or less. Um, so one thing I've noticed, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, 
so you know more about this topic than I do, but like uh, with the shelters anyway, at least I, I've, I've seen just cause I've uh, um, seen this kind of firsthand that there's, it's sort of a, like a, a list they have of who's allowed in the shelter, who's not. And it's uh, they've made it, it uh, I think it was one story, maybe in the examiner that maybe you did or something, but that list seems to have increased over the, over the years or something. Like it seems to be almost a bit of a private, I won't say private club, but definitely not everyone's allowed. And that, right. I'm sure you can, I don't know, you can comment first, I guess if I'm accurate and if that's something that's uh, like quite of a, both a morally and a pragmatic quite a, a problem that the municipality has not taken on. Yeah, like I'd have to agree. There is a list, I mean, you know, it's a ban list, you know, people that get banned from anywhere from, I think it's like three days is the, the, the shortest to um, a permanent ban, you know, and it can be from anything from drug use to fighting to like more, you know, uh, serious things like arguing with uh, a, uh, a social worker there. A lot of people that um, use the shelter do it out of desperation, right? So they're, they're not doing it because they want to, it's because they kind of need to and they, they, they don't want to sleep outside, right? And for the most part, I mean, the, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, they, they think it's good what's going on. You know, they're, they're offering... The overflow shelter, the Brock Mission, um, Cameron House, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of it, a lot of people find it, you know, the, the ones that sleep out on the streets or sleep rough um, in hidden encampments throughout the city tend to not go there because either they're banned or they don't like what is going on there. You know, mm-hmm. there is, I've heard, you know, uh, stories of, you know, favoritism between, you know, homeless people and counselors. So, it, you know, one person will pick a fight, that person's fine, but the person that, you know, they were fighting with gets banned, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know for sure because the shelter system is so hush-hush, you know, with regards to their organizers, you know, refusing to, um, you know, make statements, call you back, those types of things. It's very, you know, it's a very punitive model in in which, you know, I don't think it should be. I think it should be an inclusive model where people can go to, you know, get help. You know, I'm sure there's there's options there where they can get help, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very you know, few and far between when the the nature of the beast is, you know, money. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And speaking of what your, ter- your punitive statement there, like one thing, uh, you know, Peterborough, according to economic stats, is having its uh, struggles, uh, one of the highest unemployment rates in Ontario. I think I was reading this past week, but one industry that seems to be really striving in Peterborough is the security industry. And that seems to be like, uh, knowing again from a bit of personal experience, uh, that seems to be really they're often the focus 
not always, but often the focus is the homeless. And uh, that's, um, that's really, um, I don't know. I don't know if you have any sort of comment, like right now, how you feel the, because this is something that can be different from municipality, municipality, but the relationship that is between uh, not just the security industry, but the security industry, the police and the homeless. Right. I mean, from my work, I, I've also done, um, you know, some consulting with security agencies in the past. And, you know, I'd have to say that not all security guards are so punitive. You know, a lot of them outside of, say, a bar setting, try to take the time to understand where that person is coming from if they get caught, right? Especially in situations like retail, where a, uh, a guard would be, you know, on duty there to prevent things like theft. I know people have been, you know, picked up for stealing you know, a package of meat or a loaf of bread. And I know guards that have straight out, you know, said like, look, you know, this is wrong. If you can't afford it, I'll buy it for you. Um, but when it comes to situations where you're a security guard in a homeless shelter, that's a very, that's another story. Uh, from a lot of stories I've heard from homeless people that have used the shelters and used the, um, or even been near the shelters, I should say, uh, the security guards have very minimal, you know, respect for them or even try to understand them. So they, they also tend to not go to um, shelters because of that. These are how they're treated, not only by the workers, but also by the security that, that is there. You know? Right. Right. Uh, now, um, you wrote an article not too long ago, because it's still only January 10th right now, but uh, basically you're pointing out your highlights of uh, 2021 uh, from a homeless or, and uh, opioid overdose uh, perspective. Uh, I don't know. Do you mind sharing what you thought some of the highlights from 2021 were that way for Peter World? Well, some of the highlights that that I've I've seen through 2021 was you know the the opioid crisis has you know gotten out of control. 2021, uh, one of the stats out today was that there was a total of 44 uh, suspected uh, drug poisonings drug poisoning deaths by um in the city in 2021 now that's up only by one from 2020 which was 43 um that's a big issue with regards to you know that the loss of life i mean what's needed is so many things there's like it's a puzzle like it's explained to me by uh, people that I've interviewed in, you know, that deal with the crisis on a daily basis. It's a puzzle needing to bring all these pieces together, such as uh, safe drug supply, uh, uh, a consumption and 
consumption and treatment site, sorry. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, all these pieces that need to be brought together um, through PARN, uh, the 360-degree uh, nurse practitioner-led clinic, uh, forecast, they all bring these little pieces to the pu- of the puzzle to help create uh, more understanding of the situation for the opioid crisis here in Peterborough. Now, what, what we're finding out is that for the most part, when it comes to substance use and overdosing or overdoses, uh, overdose deaths and calls for services uh, for overdoses, is that a lot of the a lot of these numbers are being impacted by the lack of housing in, in the city. So people tend to self-medicate in this in a stressful situation such as being homeless or precariously housed, um, being part of the hidden homeless, which is someone that doesn't access any of the services available in the city who might be couch surfing or living um, living rough. So in a tent, in a wooded area, off the beaten path. So what happens is that these people are stressed out by their situation and sadly turn to drugs and alcohol to kill the pain for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And do you have sort of a, I like I, my understanding was it's supposed to start this month or anyway, the planned uh, forecast uh, PARN, um, I guess harm reduction center, safe treatment area at, at the old bus station on Simcoe or like, is there, is there hope for that? Uh, I guess at least having a spot where people can go instead of like, you know, hiding out in some public washroom here or there. Right. Um, sadly, that was one of the, the stories I was working on today. Oh, okay. Um, so the CTS or consumption and treatment site is still awaiting approval from the Ontario government. Now the federal exemption came in uh, back in June of last year, and they've been sitting, waiting for the ex- exemption to go through through the Ontario government, and that's why they they had to raise that one hundred sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars to renovate the opioid hub is what it's being called until it becomes the con- uh, consumption treatment site. So, what? what they needed to do was raise that money to renovate in order to be ready to open once they get the okay from the Ontario government. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was speaking with Donna Rogers, today, the executive director of forecast. And she was saying to me that they still haven't heard anything. They've asked multiple times over the last six, seven months about when they can ex- expect uh to be open and they keep getting the same response that it's, you know, still up for review or, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's very disheartening to see these, see how slow it actually is when the Peterborough CTS is the only one in the, on the list that is waiting for approval. Wow. 
Hmm. So, okay, so can't say with certainty, but perhaps some politics involved there of some sort. Uh, and um, what you were saying sort of earlier about like one major reason why people turn to um, uh, drug consumption is like uh, because you've suddenly been put in a situation where you're homeless. And uh, yeah, I've, I've talked to a number of people myself who just like, uh, you know, perhaps one day like uh, they had a room and the place went up in flames and have been on the street since or B, uh, yeah, the landlord wanted this much suddenly out of nowhere. And, you know, the landlord lives in somewhere like Brampton or Mississauga and they got them out and um yeah so i guess i i just was wanting your comments i guess particularly like during this covid period we've seen this like huge surge of uh real estate pricing like everywhere but peterborough definitely has been part of that and how that sort of uh like changed the situation from say what it was like in 2018 2019 not that i'm suggesting it was great then but like how it's even maybe more, become more um, like escalated or become like really enforced uh, the plight of a lot of people. Right. Like, so what we're seeing in Peterborough with regards to the housing crisis, um, namely with real estate, is that since the beginning of the pandemic, we've seen over a 30% increase in housing pricing for for real estate now that's being passed down to renters you know what i mean mm -hmm. and you know so if someone buys like a multi-unit uh piece of property you know things that were let's say 900 to a thousand before are now sitting at 12 to 1300 you know for a one bedroom you know and you know the lack of jobs in the Peterborough area and I say I see jobs but I should really clarify as viable jobs something that can support a single person a livable wage let's say um, those jobs are few and far between here you know they're always boasting you know Peterborough gained 2,000 jobs this month but what they're not saying is that these jobs are service sector jobs minimum wage jobs you have to work 40 plus hours a week just to, you know, pay rent. That's not including food, uh, you know, utilities, phone, um, medication, car insurance, upkeep. You know, these are, these are some really dire times that we're living through. And what we're, what we're seeing is a detachment in society that really is, kind of creating all these other issues, you know, housing, mental health, um, substance use, all these things are being affected by, you know, this underlying issue of no jobs, no money, no housing, no food, you know, so it kind of, you know, comes back to my point that, you know, a lot of a lot of the mental health comes from housing. So, I mean, if you can't, if you can't work a job that pays you enough to pay your rent, 
then you're SOL for lack of a better term, you know? So here in Peterborough, you know, they keep boasting affordable housing and you look at the numbers and it's 80% of market rent. Mm -hmm. It's not the standard, you know, when affordable rents were actually first brought in, it was 30% of monthly income would be affordable rent. You know, so if you're making $3,000 a month, you can pay, you know, by that math, 30%. So 900 and something, I'm not really yeah, good at something like that. Nine, yeah. 900, 950. Yeah. Right. So, but now we're seeing, you know, and, and I'm assuming, you know, that 950 was for a one bedroom. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, now we're seeing, like I said, like 12, 1300 for a bedroom or for a one bedroom apartment. And, you know, this is unsustainable. You know, I, I saw a really great, um, what, what do they call them? <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, cartoon in the paper, you know, one of those satirical com- oh, yeah. comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like homeless people and houseless or, and peopleless homes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very, you know, it sounded very true with what we're seeing now. There's so much going on and there's such a lack of affordable options right. that people can't afford it. You mm-hmm. know, people living on the streets, living in tents, going to shelters, you know, it's, it's, it's very sad. Right. And yeah, like, uh, I, I'll, I guess just make a bit of a comparison with Peterborough with one other place myself uh, it's sort of still on this topic of real estate, like one place I've, and I didn't live, I haven't never lived in, but I've worked in a lot of my life is Oshawa. And, you know, it clicks with Peterborough as in they both sort of uh, sold their soul to one company. And that really worked for them in the fifties to the eighties, maybe even somewhat into the nineties, uh, definitely from the fifties to the seventies. And, but um, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, lack of a better term, decay since. Um, and, but the difference, I get major difference on a few fronts, I guess, both with Oshawa, at least, you know, they still had a lot of property north of the city that wasn't developed yet into housing. And so this actually turn of real estate, well, it has hurt a lot of people. It's brought in a lot of new citizens to the, uh, like from other parts of the GTA um, a new, uh, into, into Oshawa, but, uh, Peterborough, it's kind of, I, I you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think her population is still kind of been somewhat stagnant or not, hasn't really grown a great deal. And, um, but I wonder if you feel like one possible issue that also facing the homeless in the future, like in 2022, maybe not quite yet, especially in this COVID crisis, but in the next few years ahead, you could see a type of gentrification coming in. Oh, very much so. I mean, you could even see the gentrification. It, it, it occurred recently. I mean, down on Rink Street. Yeah. I think it's Rink. The one, yeah. Uh, yeah. The where they knocked building. down. Yeah. They knocked down a bunch of homes mm-hmm. and, you know, all those people were displaced in order to build a condo unit. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and, and these, 
I, I believe it was 11 homes or something like that that were knocked down to make way for this. Now, most of them were multi-unit residences. Homes turned into one or two or three um, apartments and they were all knocked down. So you, you have anywhere from, you know, 24 to 33 families or, you know, displaced looking for accommodations. And what we're seeing now is that Peterborough is literally at its geographical boundaries. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing is Peterborough has no, no, no land that it owns to expand into this, you know, to expand outwards. You know, they have all those construction um, options out on uh, literally like road. I don't know if you've been out there. there yeah. There's all that that's been sold for, you know, for years and they're finally developing it now. But for the most part, the city itself has no expandable land. Um, so they're going to have to buy land in the next few years to expand um, or, or for, you know, they're going to end up knocking down old housing that is being used as apartment buildings or apartments, you know, and that's something that was really, you know, seen, you know, especially during the COVID era, these house, these houses down on, um, was it Stewart Street and Dalhousie and, and all those houses down there, they were being bought up by people in Toronto and renovated for family homes. And some of them were two and three unit as well. And now those people are, you know, those families are out, you know, so you have another three families that are out and, you know, and, and now where are they supposed to go? There's no options in the city. So what we're finding is that it's very, it's very disheartening for a lot of people because then they're going to have to, they're going to have to leave the, the, the area. They're going to have to go to places like Oshawa and Lindsay and, you know, um, Port Hope, Kingston, Coburg, everywhere like that, just to find a place to live if they can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess with all that being said, um, what, what is, I mean, I guess one thing I, before I ask, I guess one thing you have to keep in mind is a lot of this sometimes, not that municipal government is not accountable for a lot of what you're saying, but they, they have a limited sense of power in some senses, just like what you're saying about right. um, safe treatment center. But um, what is it something you'd like to see? I'm not talking about individuals or anything, but I'm just talking about something, you, what direction you would like to see in a kind of utopian kind of way that the council goes in 2022. I'd, I'd like to see some movement on the tiny home issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least getting one started, you know, and, you know, more than just talk, because as we all know, talk is cheap, right? It's the actions that speak loud. And, you know, for Peterborough being a bellwether, they're really kind of falling behind the, I guess, the zeitgeist of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Or the zeitgeist, like, sorry. <laughs> And, you know, the, the thought of the day that yeah. to help people homeless, you know, that are homeless, you, can, you have to give them a house to start with, you know, and I'm not saying give it to them rent free, 
I'm just saying, you know what, these people are going to spend, you know, their welfare check, their ODSP check for a, a single room occupancy, right? A room in a, in a rooming house. So why not just give them something that they can be a part of a community in and teach them new skills and bring that around, you know, and, and show that it can work. I mean, sure, there's going to be some some fail safes put in place where, you know, it's not, it's not like, Hey, you know, they can go off and do their own thing. There's going to be rules for the community as in any community it's, you know, there's no, there's no freebies, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I'd love to see is just like some movement on that because it would make, you know, business owners in the downtown happier because they'd Mm -hmm. see less of these, these displaced folks, these homeless, these people experiencing homelessness, um, you know, and, it, you know, it would make everything not a hundred percent better, but better than what it is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess when it comes to like this issue of, uh, homelessness and providing housing like i i don't know if our council realizes this or not but like my view is like if we're going to like public housing is a requirement if we're going to be depending on like land developers uh real estate companies to be like you know say a certain amount out for public housing it's not really in their favor to be doing that if they're wanting to make you know maximum profit they sort of, it, it kind of requires what, you know, a lot of Canada was sort of doing in the 60s and 70s sort of thing. It requires a certain level of pu- public housing. And and I would say in like fairness to municipal government, that does require provincial and or federal support. Um, right. And um, again, Peterborough is hardly unique this way, but I don't know. Um, I know. I guess. I guess I'm just asking. Like, you sort of agree? Would you say that public, like public housing, is really the best path to take with this, with providing enough housing? Like, as if we're depending on land developers to be doing this, it's not going to happen. Right. Um, definitely. I, I definitely agree that you know, getting those public, the public housing, the public housing units. Um, is very important for Peterborough because they are lacking that. Now, what we're seeing is that, you know, there is steps that council is taking with regards to making um, Peterborough Housing Corporation, you know, they're they're redoing Peterborough Housing Corporation and creating uh, a new entity that can take upwards of, I think it was 400... I think it's $400 million over the next 10 years to, to provide um, actual uh, public housing, mm-hmm. right? I was talking to Keith Rial and Henry Clark about that a few months ago, and, and they were saying that that's the biggest undertaking of a municipal government that they know of in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. you know? Or, or in recent times, I should say, I believe that's what the, the term they used. Um, 
so it, it's very you know it's very important that these issues you know <laughs> we steer away from sorry no, it's we okay steer... i'm putting all these throwing all these things at you so sorry yes. right yeah no, it, it's very like so what i'm trying to say is that it's important that we steer away from um private land developers because you're going to get that situation where it's 80 percent of market rent opposed mm -hmm. to where municipal federal and provincial governments coming together it'll be a a, a more manageable 30 percent of monthly incomes right opposed to 80 percent of market rent for the same you know the same issue which you know, is more than 30% of someone's income, if that can make sense. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. no, no, that definitely makes sense in, in a lot of ways. Um, I guess on a more positive note, through your experience at the Examiner and being a journalist in Peterborough, um, who are some people who've worked either individually or in with for certain organizations, you know, NGOs or things like that? that you've really been like really um, impressed with and you feel like, you know, they're, they're doing the best that they can and their heart is in the right place. Um, one person I, I, I had great um, admiration for, he's not involved with any of the NGOs. Um, mm -hmm. His name is Dan Hennessy. Mm -hmm. He's a homeless advocate. He's homeless himself. Um, and he's just a wealth of knowledge, like talking with him about almost anything to do with homelessness, housing, the opioid crisis, anything like that. He is just well-versed in, in it. And, you know, a lot of people don't know what he used to do prior to being homeless. Right. Mm -hmm. So he has an education, you know, he's got a really, you know, really good education, um, well, I wouldn't say really good. I mean, he's not no doctor or anything, but he's got an education and, but he's so knowledgeable about what needs to be done here in Peterborough to help those who are struggling, living homeless, um, living rough in the shelter system. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I've never met another person in his situation like him mm -hmm. right and sure i'm i'm only a couple of years in on, on my uh my career but i mean i don't i don't foresee meeting another person like him you know what i mean yeah in that situation that isn't somehow connected to working for an organization yeah i know uh when i've heard him speak uh, he, he doesn't know me definitely, but when I've heard him speak, he, uh, um, he not only seems to have a, like a solution in mind and like, like examples he's using of other places that have done this, not just Kingston and Kitchener, but he's referred to ones in the U S as well. Uh, but also he just seems to even more impressive perhaps as he seems to know almost everyone homeless in the city. That's maybe a slight hyperbole, but he seems to know quite a few and their situation and all that. So he obviously is someone who reaches out and talks to them and, you know, if nothing else, like quoting one homeless person that they said to me, 
wants is they, you know, they just want to be treated like human beings. And he obviously knows that and does that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of the NGOs too, they have really great people that are working with them, sometimes misunderstood, you know, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite, I guess, conversations I ever had was with um, the old CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Sarah Budd. She was so knowledgeable, so amazing. And, you know, you could tell she cared. But, you know, sometimes you have to move on from from where you are um, because of, you know, burnout, like situations like dealing with these issues can really, really burn you out, you know? Um, And another one would be, again, um, Yes Shelter Executive Director Megan Hanekam before she left. Um, Again, another person who was was burnt out by the pandemic and, you know, the job she was doing, you know, with the stress of the pandemic kind of just, you know, one on top of the other. So, you know, those three are really the ones that stand out in my mind for, you know, people who actually care for these communities, you know, not only Peterborough as a whole, but their sub communities of like um, homeless youth and, and homeless um, and, and, you know, uh, people of lower income you know, that, that need a house, you know, or need, need that condo. Um, they're on, uh, can't remember the street name that's yeah, on. Were you referring to one on rink being built or? or uh, no, the one up on, it's just off of, well, Park, Park, Park Hill. Okay. Yes. Park Hill. Yes. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. I can't remember the name, but I'll know it as soon as, uh, as soon as I hang up, I'll, I'll remember it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, they're amazing people and, you know, Dan Hennessy has been just, you know, for his situation, you know, a plus, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, just another, just, uh, something you mentioned briefly at the beginning, you said you had a degree in sociology. Now, right. how do you feel that, does that, uh, something you took from that, does that relate to how, what you're doing now or something like, like from a sociological perspective, does that, you find that still helpful for you? Very much so. I mean, sociology, I originally took sociology and journalism together at Trent and ended up dropping the um, journalism aspect of it at Trent due to some unforeseen situations that occurred. Um, Pardon me. Um, so, but sociology as a, as a discipline very much goes hand in hand with the situations I'm reporting on, as well as the journalism aspect of it, because they're you know journalism is telling society's story, where sociology is examining society as a whole. You know, mm-hmm. you're kind of making generalizations of the the things you're seeing and, and, you know, 
it helps with the journalism aspect because you can see these patterns emerge in, in everyday life. And, you know, and, and that's very helpful as, as a journalist being a, being a sociology major as well. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Yes. I, I have a son in his first year of university and his major of all things is math, but he wanted to take sociology one as like a one-on-one course, but he very actually ended up really enjoying it this past fall. So, yeah. Um, and just uh, since like, I guess, A, my podcast is mainly people interviewing in the arts community, but um, just curious yourself, like, do you have any sort of uh, uh, like, have you your past or currently artistic interests or uh, sort of in connections with the artistic community in Kikitaburo? Uh I have no like connection to it, but I'd, I'd have to argue that, that writing is an art in and of itself mm-hmm. because you're not just, you're not just writing these stories. You're putting your heart and soul into them as you would a painting or a mm-hmm. song you know, and, and you're telling these stories in the most, you know, succinct way you can, just like a, a you know, a song would be, you know, mm-hmm. you have so many words to say, to sing the song and the s- similarities between songwriting and, and, and uh, you know, journalism are a lot, really. I mean, you know, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I haven't drawn in forever, but I used to draw when I was a kid and a lot of my passion for um, writing came from, you know, drawing because I would, you know, I'd write just, you know, draw just a simple picture and then explain, you know, what I saw in that picture or what the person was doing. And, you know, it, it, it kind of, you know, nurtured that in me. Right. Okay, well, yes, you can't argue with art or sorry, writing being a form of art. Definitely, yeah, definitely is. Um, and yeah, I guess for a moment I was still thinking of this kind of again stenographer CP twenty four kind of way. But uh, anyway, well, thank you very much for doing that uh, with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I want again commemorate you for what you've done so far, and I hope. Uh, you continue to remain a voice for uh, uh, the oppressed in this city. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, yeah, uh, I'll just let you know. That I just, uh, yes, I'll edit this and uh, put it together and I'll, uh, I'll send you out a copy when I'm finished. Perfect. Thanks right. for having me. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a pleasure and uh, yeah, an honor of mine to have you. Matthew P. Barker. 
my ums and ahs gotta go. But anyway, he is so insightful as to his situation in Peterborough, and it was quite an enjoyable discussion. I'd call it a discussion more than an interview. And there you just heard some uh, Elliot Smith kind of playing off his track Angelus, off the favorite, favorite and famous of his album Either Or. So I hope you enjoyed this edition of Corner Hunter and George, and hopefully I'll be back again soon.